Want the reward? Do the damn work. Challenge yourself. Inspire change. Choice, not luck. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Ignite Euphoria podcast brought to you by Racing for Recovery. And I am with one Russ Willard, who I just called Wadsworth. Where that's what drugs do to you. I've been called worse, so right. it's okay. Like, yeah, it's... Let's start with this. How long have you been pondering being in that seat? Um, since the first time I met you. Um, so probably last October, right before, right before our five k last year, when I met you. Um, like I knew. I don't know. I can like I I was like oh I want to be in there. I heard about the podcast that we've done in here and everything. I was like I just want to sit down and talk to him. So probably almost exactly a year. Okay, let's good intro. Let's do this. Let's talk about what you just did uh, a couple weeks ago. Okay. Which is actually two days ago, but when this airs, it'll be a couple weeks ago. All right, right? I get what you're doing there. You All right, I get okay. it. Yep, yep. I let the secret out to the folks at home. Okay. What did you just do on Saturday with respect to our event, and how did you feel? Um, I went out, and I supported our 5K, 10K race, um, and uh, I ran, and that was the first time. I've done a couple 5Ks. Um, I've never done a 10K, so I wanted to push myself, and I wanted to see if I could do it, and um, I ran the 10K, and I mean, I'm guessing to what you're talking about is what I did after the 10K. Um, I had some friends that were still out there that um, were struggling to cross the finish line. So I went out and helped him come back. It's inter so. interesting how you just answered that and what you said that you thought I was gonna, wanted you to say whatever. You put others first basically in that. Um, kind of. I made sure I crossed the finish line first. Um, I made sure that I did what I set out to do first. And once I crossed the finish line, I knew I was good. Then I went back to help my friends. So, yes, in a way, I did put – no, I put myself first. And then when I knew that I was okay, then I went back to get my friends. How was that a metaphor for everything you've been doing in your awesome sobriety? It's a metaphor for everything in life. Um, I mean, my – First and foremost, like your my sobriety has to come first, and um, I didn't understand what that meant. Um, I've been doing this recovery thing, trying to do this recovery thing for a while, and I didn't I didn't catch on to it until I got here. When everybody's like, "Oh, you need to put your recovery first, and anything you put before your recovery, you'll lose." And I never understood that. I was like, "Bull crap!" Like my kids come first, I come first, my girlfriend comes first, but that's not. When I got here, I realized that like I won't have any of that stuff in my life if I don't have my recovery. So I have to make sure my recovery is first. I have to make sure that I am first. And then once I'm safe, then I can help others. Like once, once my recovery is safe, then I can help others with their journey in life, if I can. Did you, did you do our race last year? Yes. And you ran the 5K last year? Yes. Talk about, so that's showing the folks at home you've been sober for over a year, so good on you for that. Thank you. What, what's the difference between last year and this year? Um, last year I was kind of in awe of the whole thing. Um, 
I can relate it to like being like the first time I was ever backstage at a concert. Like I was in awe of everything and there's so much stuff going on everywhere. And I wanted to be a part of everything, but I didn't know how to be a part of anything. Um, it's like, I wanted to help set up the fences. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. Um, I seen you and Dan, like I wanted to be a part of everything, but I, you know, and then I had to like sit back and watch this year. It was kind of like when I got there, I knew what to do, where stuff was going to be, what to, and it kind of everything clicked. And I'm like telling people, Hey, you go there. Hey, will you help us with this? Will you help us? And I was kind of like helping to coordinate. And then all my friends were out there and it was like, I felt Last year, I was in awe of everything. This year, I felt like I was part of the team. Like, I felt like I belonged there, and I felt it felt good this year, and I, I liked it. Let's stay on the race thing for a second. But how, when you went back out there, and I was privileged to witness this, when you went back out there repeatedly and brought your peers in, what was that feeling like? Um, yeah. Um, I didn't feel anything for myself. Um, okay, it started because me and Loco have a rivalry over everything we do. Everything we do is a rivalry, whether it's cornhole, whether it's pool, whether it's anything. So we had a rivalry on this. Um, I'm going to beat you to the finish line. I'm going to beat you. Well, when I, I knew he didn't pass me during the race. So when I crossed the finish line, I'm sitting there huffing and puffing, huffing and puffing. First thing that popped in my head was Loco still out there. So I turned back around and ran to get loco. And it was like, I didn't even think. I didn't even think about my legs being on fire. I didn't even think about, like, my friends on the sidelines cheering me on, trying to grab a hold of me. You were trying to talk to me. Like, everybody was trying to do everything. And the only thing that was in my mind was, where's loco? So, like, that's the only thing I cared about at first. So when I went out there to get them, as I'm running back with them, I seen everybody down the sidelines and everybody was yelling and everybody was chanting his name. And I was like, my dude did it. Like he crossed the fit. And I didn't think anything about myself. I didn't care about my legs. I didn't care about anything like that. My race was done. Um, my race was done. I had my moment when I crossed the finish line. My moment was done. Now it's their time to get their moment. So I kept going back for my friends. And I wanted my friends to feel that same experience when they were running in and you hear your name on the, that guy announcing your name and everybody's cheering you on and the cameras are out there. That I wanted my friends to feel that too. So I went back to make sure my friends felt the same thing. I didn't think about me. You know, you're making me think of something that I've never really thought of before. So I appreciate us talking like this. What you just said right there is exactly why I started this in the first place. I just wanted other people to get a feeling of what I felt like. Yeah. That's the formation of this whole thing that 20 years later culminated with you saying it right now. Yeah. Um, okay, let's do this. How did you end up here? How did you get to racing for recovery? Ooh, that's a long story. Um <laughs> That's what we're here to do today, but <laughs> Okay. Uh, I was at a, another treatment place um, for a couple months, and I met some really great people. Um, and one of the people that I met, I'm going to name her out. Like, one of the people that I met, her name is Ashley. And um, me and her became really good friends. Um, like, we were, we were great. And... Um, so after I was done with that other program, she came here and she was, um, she came here and I went back to the streets. Like I went back home, you know, cause I thought I could do it. Well, while I'm out there, 
making bad choices in my life and screwing shit up again. She was here and she was trying to get me to come here and trying to get me to come here and trying to get me to come here. And the whole time I was lying to everybody and was like, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. When really I wasn't, I was falling apart. Um, I'm in the closet. I hated myself. You know what I mean? Like I'm in the closet doing drugs by myself and I hated myself and I didn't want to be alive. Well, um, she knew that I was really close to ending everything and um, I was going to take my own life. And she drove from Toledo all the way back to Norwalk and picked me up and drug me to detox and had me go to detox. And when I was in detox, I got a hold of Dan and Helene and they set it up for me to come here. And I have fortunately been here ever since. So um, I can honestly say that it, it wasn't my doing coming here. I mean, I was kind of coerced in coming here, but that saved my life. That day where she came in the middle of the night and drove all the way back to Norwalk to pick me up, um, that, and I didn't want to come. I kind of came kicking and screaming. I was trying to get her to stop at every gas station so I could just get one more drink or, uh, we just passed my dope dude's house. Can I just get one more shot? And she wouldn't do it and wouldn't do it. And she drugged me to Toledo kicking and screaming. And, um, here I am. You know, I'm sure you've been given a couple of those T-shirts of ours with empathy, humility, and gratitude on the back of it. You see the gratitude now you have for, for Ashley for doing that. That's remarkable. Yes. yes. Go a little bit deeper with this, buddy. And, like, what was behind all that self-destruction? You want me to go back to, like, my childhood? You can do that? whatever you want. Um, this is your story. Just what's, be, what's beneath all the crap? Um, what's, well, what was beneath it? Um, I don't know. Uh, I grew up in a small town and, um, kind of like everybody knows you in that town. It's kind of, you know, like, um, I don't know. I, I, I grew up in a small town, so it's like well known. My, my mother tried working two jobs. She was always busy. It was just me and my mom my whole childhood. So I was kind of left alone. Um, I ran the streets all at night, all by myself, not, not at night, but, you know, during the day and up until mom got home. And, um, it was kind of like, as long as I got decent grades in school, my mom never asked about anything else. Like as long as I got, you know, B's, C's, D's, like as long as I got good, decent grades, she never asked what I did. I just stayed out of trouble. And that like ended up me falling into the wrong crowd and a lot of things. And, um, I had, I wasn't exactly like the most popular kid in school. So I was always trying to fit in with people. Um, I was always getting made fun of. For, I was, I've always been smaller than everybody else. So like I got made fun of for a lot of shit. And it just, I tried to, I don't know, I tried to fit in with as many cool people as I could, which drug me down the wrong path. I figured out at a very young age that if I started selling drugs in school, if I started selling pills and started selling weed and stuff like that, I figured out that I could fit in with the cool kids, um, regardless if like they were beating me up after school and everything. When we were, you know, I don't, when we were at school, like I felt like I was part of them, and I always just wanted to be part of something, and it. Um, I don't know. That kind of spiraled into me falling in. Not kind of. It really did spiral me falling into the wrong people because I just wanted to be cool. And then once I started getting a bad reputation in town, like, and none of the good kids wanted to hang out with me no more, so I was kind of stuck. And I kind of, that's just where I've stayed is 
um, kind of that everybody thought that I was a bad kid. Well, you think I'm a bad kid? I'll show you a bad kid. I'm going to be the worst bad kid that I can. And um, it just turned into me being somebody that I didn't want to be. Like, I lo- I'm a very lovable person, and I really care about everybody. But when you're in that with not very lovable and not very agreeable people, you can't be nice. If you're nice, they'll walk over you and they'll take all your shit and they'll just treat you. So I had to become one of them. I had to sort of be like a chameleon and become one of them. When I'm hanging out with these people, I'm this type of Russell. When I'm hanging out with these people, I'm this type of Russell. And I lost myself during that. And I really didn't. I really, I'm still learning who I am. I'm still learning what I like to do. Um, I'm 36 years old, and I really don't even know a lot about myself because I've tried to be so many other people at the same time. This is going to be good. So I have a question for you. You mentioned the cool kids, right? And everybody knows what or has their own version of what that is. Yeah. What was your version of a cool kid? What is your version of a cool kid now? Um, My version of a cool kid when I was growing up was uh, the kids – for one, the kids that had name brand clothes um, that wasn't wearing, in my day, it was Kmart. You know, yeah, the Kmart and the, you know, the Walmart and stuff, the hand-me-down clothes or for my cousin. So the cool kid in my books were the ones that had, like, con- that were wore Converse shoes or maybe had, like, the Reebok pump shoes. I don't know if anybody remembers them. But, um, yeah, and the one that had, like, all the girls. Like, I always wanted all the girls, you know, all them kids, and they got the chains and the girls, and that was my, I don't know, when they walked in a room and everybody was happy to see him. They walked in the room and everybody was like, hey, there he is, and then, like, I would walk in the room and they were like, hey. You know, it was like, I, I just wanted recognition. I wanted to be cool. I don't know. Like, my version of a cool person now, I would have to say, like, loving and empathetic. It's, um... I don't know. I like real. I like real people now. Um, I like people that cry when they want to cry, get mad when they want to get mad. Um, I like people that do stuff without making a scene of other people. You know, like um, they kind of do their their work in the dirty. I don't. I don't know how to explain it. I like people that don't boast. They don't brag. They just do because that's the right thing to do. You mentioned something in there that when. They walk in the, the old version when they walk in the room when everybody's like, "Hey, what's up?" Yeah. Do you see yourself as being that person today? Sometimes, and I don't. Now that I have, I I don't feel right. Um, and here, being in this community, yes, I do. Um, I feel really welcome and really at home here. Um, like when I walk in the lunchroom or when I walk in group, everybody walks up to me and gives me hugs. And now that I I do have it, I don't know how to accept it sometimes. Um, I kind of push it away. Um, I'll walk in and everybody will be like, hey, there's Russell. And like, and like I'll get overwhelmed and my hands will start sweating. And I don't know why. I'll like start to panic or start to and, – and I'll turn around and walk away. Like I still – like I said, I'm still working on myself. I'm still learning how to accept um, – accept love and accept that um so yeah here i do i do feel that do you remember when i said to our awesome tech guy adam i when i said this guy's basically a piece of work that's a cool kid to me you are that your your sarcasm your heart your intelligence just russ that's 
my definition of what a cool kid is. You exemplify that. And you notice your version now of a cool kid and everything that we're talking about has nothing to do with stuff. Stuff. It's what's on the inside. And that's what I've seen in you. I, when I'm uh, probably going to pull some stuff that we had from that conversation. I think it was on Friday or whatever. But it's uh, I've watched you grow since you've come in here. And it's like you're the real person that, that I feel most of us are seeking for an addiction. You found it. You know, and I wonder if you're, you, it sounds like you're starting to see that, but haven't fully accepted that person yet. Um, I don't know if I found it, but I'm definitely finding it. Um, I'm working on my, I, I'm working on myself every day more and more. Um, I still have a lot of, uh, I mean, we're on, this is crazy, but I feel like I'm talking to you. I, I still have a lot of self-esteem issues. Um, I still feel like maybe sometimes I'm not good enough. But other than that, like you said, it's not about the stuff anymore. Um, I mean, shit, I've uh, I've traveled all around the world. Um, I was in the military. Um, I've been to different countries. Um, I mean, not to brag or nothing, but like I've been to a lot of different countries. I've had stuff. I've had cars. I've had houses. I've had swimming pools, trampolines, uh, dirt bikes, go-karts. I've had stuff. I've had a lot of stuff in my life. None of that made me happy. Um, I wasn't happy with myself. Uh, when I looked in the mirror, I couldn't stand the person that I seen in the mirror because um, I was usually, most of that time, I was a lying, manipulative uh, chameleon that was just too scared to be himself. And um, now when I look in the mirror, I talk to myself in the mirror when I brush my teeth. Um, that's something that Miss Julie here um, has taught me how to do. Um, I have a conver- I have full-blown conversations with myself every day. And um, I'm getting comfortable with being in my own skin. I'm not quite there yet. Um, Rome wasn't built in a day, but I'm getting there. I'm all right. Low self-esteem is the foundation of addiction. Having self-esteem is the foundation of finding self, right? That's what I'm learning. What have you learned since being at racing for recovery what what has it been like for you being here and what are the benefits of the work you've put into yourself what have i learned like i can write a book on what i've learned here i mean there's just so many things i'm gonna that's kind of like when you're accepting an award and you're trying to name off all the people that helped you like there's so many you know what i mean like there's so many things um oh shit i've learned to like first of all i've learned to I have to put myself first, and um, as selfish as that sounds, like I, I have to stop spreading myself so thin trying to help everybody else out. Because um, a lot of times when I was in the middle of my addiction, um, I felt like such a piece of crap that I figured that if I helped 42 other people out at the same time, that would make me feel better about myself, which in the end, it just I spread myself too thin. And I mean, so like I've learned to put myself first, um, God, I'm on the spot right now and I'm super nervous, so I can't really think of everything, but, um, I don't know. Like I have learned to work through and not run from past garbage that I've been carrying my whole life. Um, like childhood traumas, um, the death of my mom was a huge one. Um, when my mom passed away in 2009, um, I felt like that was the only person in the world that had ever loved me and she was gone. So now nobody in the world will ever love me again. And, uh, I just went balls to the wall. That's when my addiction really went through the roof was I didn't have, 
before I, my, I had my mom to worry about. If my mom would look at me and she'd be like, I'm really disappointed in you. And, but, and that would kind of keep me on the straight and narrow when my mom was gone. I didn't care what you thought, what he thought. I didn't care about anybody in this world. I was gone. And um, so I've learned how to work through that as best I can. Um, so I still have my bad moments. I'll never have a bad day. I still have my bad moments. You work through them moments. Um, most I've learned how to be a part of a community. Um, and while putting myself first, I also have to think about what putting myself first, what that does to others. Like, I, I, I still can't be selfish. If that, I don't know if I'm explaining this right. Like, even though I put myself first, I can't shit on other people. Mm -hmm. Like, I have to still remember what their feelings and, and their, you know, it's, it's a fine line between, like, like arrogance and like um, I don't I can't really think of you know between being happy with yourself and being like arrogant like there it's a fine line that I still I have trouble like I don't want to be I don't want to come off as an arrogant person but yeah I don't want people to walk on me so it's like I have to you know shimmy that tightrope I forget what your question was. You answered I'm, it. I'm, I'm going to come back nervous. to it, but I do want to ask you this: in there, <laughs> with respect to your mom, do you feel you are you're honoring her today, or do you feel she's proud of you today? Yes, um, I think my mom was always proud of me. Um, I, my mom was the type of mom that she supported. I mean, she was, she wanted the best for me, but she it was me and my mom my whole childhood. It was just us until my, my stepdad came along. But um, my mom would have been proud of me flipping burgers at Burger King. She would have still been standing outside Burger King with a sign, like, that's my son in there, that's my So, like, but what I'm doing now and what I, or what I'm trying to do, um, yes, my mom would have been my biggest fan. She would have been wearing my T-shirts. When I went <laughs> when I went to the military, this is embarrassing, but when I went to the military, uh, I left when I was 17 years old to go to the military. And then I was eight on my 17th, or I mean on my 18th birthday, I turned 18 in basic training, and I turned 19 in Iraq. Um, my mom had posters and signs and everything, and she put it in the Norwalk reflector, like our home, our paperback home, and she put this big thing in the paper talking about how shit proud she was of me and blah, 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 and I was going to the military. And, like, you know how embarrassing that is that, like, all my friends are like, oh, your mom's in the newspaper again for you, bub. Like, your mom's out there again. And it was embarrassing, but now that I look back on it, like, I see where her love, I have, ki I have children now. So if my kids would have been doing that, I would be, I'm, I'd be right there with them, you know. So it was embarrassing for me to have my mom do that. But now that I look back on it, like, she was just a proud mom, and she was proud of me. No matter what I ever did, she was always proud of me. So it was as a, As a citizen of this awesome country, thanks for your service to it. Oh. Why did you choose to go into the service and did any of your childhood traumas have anything to do with that decision? Oh, that had a lot to do with it. Um, I was running. I was running from everybody. Um, that was, I joined the military before I even left for high school. I joined when I was like 15. So I was in like the delayed enlistment program, like where um, it was kind of like once you graduate from high school, you leave. But like I kind of already signed up. I had all my tests and everything done. Um, but I was tired of that town. 
Um, I was tired of the people in it. I was tired of being bullied and made fun of all the time. And I wanted to make something of myself. I figured if I was like them people on TV or if I was in the military, um, for one, I might maybe I can get some muscles if I'm in the military because I've never really had any of those. Um, maybe I could get the chicks, you know, with the uniform on. And, you know, I heard every girl's like uniform. I was like 15, 16 years old. And I was like, you know what? F the world. Like, I'm going somewhere. And then when I got the chance, you when you join, um, like I joined the Air Force, and then you get uh, you get to pick from three stations that you want to go. All three of my stations were gone. Like I picked Japan, Italy, and Germany. I didn't want to be here anymore. I was running as far away from this place as I possibly could. So I ran to Japan, and then when I was in Japan, like, I missed my mom, and I ended up, I inevitably, and no matter where I've ever went, I've always came back to Ohio. And it's weird because I've been running from my problems, and I've been running from my trauma the whole time, and right here in Ohio, right in my backyard, is this amazing, wonderful program that's helping me deal with my past. Like, so if I would have just, you know, took a shortcut down the road, I could have just went straight down the expressway and came here and dealt with my shit rather than trying to run from it. Here's a question I've never asked anybody, but what, I've never been um, to Japan. They have Ironman Japan over there. I think it runs like periodically and someday I want to do that. And when you're not a client, I will probably take you over there with me. Again, when you're not a client, there's some humor in there. For yeah, the folks dude. Um... But anyway, uh, what part of their culture did you embrace that you can actually use today? Because I'm asking that for a specific reason, but go ahead. Well, part of their culture. Oh, geez, I don't know. Um, okay, first of all, I like your not a client thing. Yeah, um, I really wish it was the same. But uh, what well, part of their culture? I don't, I didn't really... I didn't take advantage of my opportunities when I've been to all these different countries. I was too busy. No matter where the plane landed, I was worried about where the bar was. Um, so I didn't really embrace a lot of the Japanese culture, but, I mean, I did like their cars. I did like their girls. Um, so I don't know. I like their food. Okay. I was going to say I, I love vegetables and rice. I don't really, you know. The reason I'm asking that is part of what we do at racing for recovery is always searching for the next opportunity to learn. And I started reading about Buddhism lately, you know, oh, not, yeah. not trying to, and again, I'm not pushing a religion cause I don't look at that as a religion. I look at it as a, an enhancement of, of, of Christ stuff. Um, which after reading my first book on Buddhism, it led me to the next book and I'm going to, I'm going to mess it up. Um, Naiku, Nikon, not not the camera. Anyway, I'm I'm not saying the word correctly, but it's a derivative from Japan that basically is about grace and gratitude. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, we we do those words here. Mm -hmm. And learning about grace, gratitude, you know, what what was done for me today. And think of how many things are done for each of us every day. The microphones that are set up, who made them, who set them up, the conversations we have, the food that was cooked for us, just on and on and on. Then what have we done for others? And then the, the last part of that that I think is very important is what hurts have we caused other people? Mm. So it's what, what's been done for us? What have we done to others? 
and what hurts have we caused other people? And I'm reading this and it just enhances the grace and gratitude. So when you were talking about Japan, I was like, wow, that's what I used to look at it. Like I want to go there because there's an Ironman there. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, well, yeah, I could do that race over there, but I want to go and experience where some of these things I'm reading about originated from. Me too. I actually, um, you brought that that book into group the other day, and I have it wrote down in my because I bring a notebook sometimes when I can remember because you know brain shot. But um, I wrote down in that notebook. I, I I have no idea how you pronounce that Naiku or whatever. Yeah, yeah I I seen that too, and I wrote down your three questions that you asked too, and um, that's kind of like in a roundabout way, like our empathy, humility, and gratitude that we show around here, that's kind of, they just have it in a more technical way. You kind of, you kind of summed it up for us. Uh, uh, never mind. You, um, yeah, you, you summed Keep it up. For, positive, yeah, 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 right, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Right. Us exactly. good people. Yeah, us good people, us great people, <laughs> us healing people. Yes. Um, but like, yeah, I really like that too. Like I, we don't think about little stuff like that or, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm grateful that I have eyesight today. You know, little stuff like that, you don't think about all that. So I really did like down like your three questions that you said that you got out of that book. And I've never thought about, like, what harm I've been causing other people in the while I'm trying to get to the top. Or whose head was I trying to step on while I was trying to get to the top? You, I didn't think about that kind of stuff before I came here. Isn't it... it and I, I talk about at some point this seems to come up in every podcast that I'm fortunate to do, but it's like that's the form or the foundation of what racing for recovery was. It wasn't you and I sitting here talking about how much coke we did. You know, it's more of like yeah, the emotions behind that choice, but also looking at I call them the innocent bystanders, our family, our mm -hmm. friends, our communities. What was our choices doing to them? Exactly. And that foundation of us having that, which, by the way, we're the first ones ever to do that, really enhances everything else that we're striving to improve on ourselves. Yeah. When I was out there, uh, I just I used to always say, like, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm yeah. just hurting myself. Like, don't worry about me. Like, this is my life, and I'll do what I want. But I've lost so many family members and really good friends and stuff that just couldn't get it. And um, their choices drove them to inevitably take their own lives, whether it was directly or indirectly because of this stupid lifestyle that we live or lived that um, back past tense. But um, I never really thought that I was hurting anybody. I just hated myself. So I didn't care about myself. And then, you know, I didn't realize that I was hurting my friends. I was hurting my mom. I was hurting my father. And then as I got older, I started having children. Well, like I was hurting my children because I was never around. Um, I was hurting my children's mothers because I left them raising my children without me. And um, I was, and then I get to the point where I was like, "Well, they're better off without me, anyways." Like, no, they like my my children's mothers were still are struggling. Like they're struggling to raise my children, and I didn't even care enough to help. I was so lost in my own pity and self-hatred that I didn't think about everybody else that I was hurting. And then I'm leaving my children without a father that I grew up without a, a father, which is one of the biggest reasons. It was just me and my mom, and I'm doing the same damn thing to my children. And I, like I need, I'm trying to break that cycle. I'm trying to, I need to break that cycle so that my children don't grow up with the same childhood traumas that I did. Try that one more time. I will break that cycle. One more. 
I it's, will break that cycle. It, what you have? I have. Okay, all right. I was yeah. gonna say. I'm like, I, I will. Like, what do you mean? Like, what do you? What do you mean? Uh, yeah, I, you I have. have, and will continue. Yes, to, yes, yeah. yes. How has is is that one? Uh, we you know our four big ideas. Number three being life's emotional hardships. hardships that no one can get away from. Is this one of your emotional hardships? This factor of dealing not being around your kids as often as you want to be. Um, oof, man, that's a, oof. uh, my children are, I, uh, I've been here a year, um, and, um, I don't blame them at all, but a lot of my family and, um, my children's mothers still don't accept much of what I've done. They, a lot of them, they, um, I don't want to say the wrong thing because it's on podcast and I don't want, you know, future, but, um, I've hurt a lot of people in my past, and they are still not happy with me. And my children are like the. I'm still not. I'm still not there yet. That's my biggest. One of my biggest um, current regrets that I'm still dealing with is I don't know how to deal with that. I'm still dealing. Um, Would you say that you? I got a ton of respect for you right now, dude. I'm, Would so, you, I'm trying so hard not to cry on camera. You're good. <laughs> Would you say you are dealing with that, though? Yes. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying, yes. Um, I have my middle son's mother. Um, I started talking to, like, me and her are communicating a little bit. Um, so I'm dealing with that. I've tried reaching out to my father and my, my side of the family that has my daughter. Um, they still don't really want anything to do with me. Um, it's baby steps. Um, I, I'm starting to pay on child support. Cool. Um, I'm trying to get my life back together. Um, I need to, first and foremost, I need to get my license. Like I'm, I'm paying to get my license back, which me and you talked about that yep. the other day too. So um, we're gonna help you with that. That's, and I appreciate everything you guys do here for real. Like, um, but yes, yes. Um, Put this back to positive. Yes, I'm, I am currently yep. moving towards it, but I'm not quite where I want to be yet. I, yes, you know, I don't say things unless they're appropriate. Of uh, have you, you've seen our first documentary? Yes. Which, I, it's crazy that it was called Addict. Addict. Yeah. I know. I, where were you? Where, when I was where, were you where was your head at when I you were doing know. that? Come on, man. Like, I don't think. I'm trying to remember if I had if I came up with that title or or someone else did. I I want to say I don't think I did, but I I didn't have the self esteem enough to to say no to say no. Anyway, in that, um, and the only reason I'm and I <laughs> I don't really want to say this, but I think it's relative because it's what you're going through. You've been doing this for a year, which is awesome, and we at Racing for Recovery are proud of how hard you've worked at that. The uh, it was in our documentary. Um, well, I'll just say it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I physically assaulted my parents. This was October sixth of nineteen eighty six. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is a long time ago. Uh, my daughter Skyler, who you know, who works here, was born April fifteenth of nineteen ninety eight. So what is that? That's twelve years. And then it was probably another two or three years after that. So we're talking 14 or 15 years before, and I don't like calling her this, but for all 
facts, my stepmom, who I really feel is my, I call her my mom. Yes. It took her 14 or 15 years to give me another chance. Now, I remember after assaulting her, writing a letter to her after like two weeks and saying, <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. And then being pissed off that she didn't accept that. And mm -hmm. what a lesson to learn in that. So the point in that is this. I hope it doesn't take you 14 or 15 years to get people back. But I do believe when we consistently stay sober, everybody that was lost during our choices to use drugs will come back and it will be better than it was before. That's what is coming to you. It just doesn't usually come when we want it to. Yes. But it will be there. And hearing you describe that, I'm like, I know what that's like. I used to try and force that. I, you know, look, mm -hmm. look. And it's like, I stopped, stopped doing that. And then it shifted where my mom finally said, I see it. We're good. And I've been, I've been doing the whole look at me, look at me thing for 20 years. Um, I mean, I started, I started doing drugs at a very young age, um, probably about 11 or 12. So like my whole life, um, it's always been like, okay, I'm so sorry. Like, I know I just broke into your car last week, but won't you please forgive me? Like, I love you. Or like, I know I did this, but won't you? And, and it's, they, they've always forgiven me. My family has always been there to forgive me and forgive me. And it's um, like this time, they wanted. They want to know it's for real. Like this time, it's got to be for real. They're like Russell. You're getting too old. Like you're. You're not. I'm not 17 anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like the little. Oh my gosh, you're young and you're dumb, and we can forgive you. No, you're a grown ass man, and you know your choices and uh, choices and consequences. Yeah. <laughs> um. They. You know that, and and I'm still was still making them same mistakes. So when I come here and I start to get sober, everybody's like, okay, well. We respect what you're doing, and we're watching you. Just my my father said that. Like my grand, I haven't talked to my grandparents in a couple of years, and he said that my grandpa every once in a while, he'll be like, grandpa said he was proud of you, or he's seen this or whatever, and it makes me feel good. But I would like to hear that from my grandpa, but for whatever reason, my grandpa doesn't. You know, I mean, I I know he loves me, but he's just not ready to talk to me. So it's yet yet. So let's switch gears to some music stuff, which is Here good, we go. Right? All right. So not to criticize Kiss, <laughs> but I, when Never. you explained a couple of times why you didn't necessarily like them, wow. I'm bringing it back to the word realism that you talked about before. So talk about your view of Kiss with not being, quote, real and how that's applicable to the realness you've seen in sobriety. Okay, well, first of all, I just want to apologize if any of them four, you know, I, all I know is watching. all I know is Gene Simmons. I don't. I mean, I know, like, but if if any of them ever see this, I'm really sorry. Please don't beat me up. Um, no, um, I don't know. I just see them, which is really weird because of the music that I listen to. But when I was growing up at a young age, um, I was like, I love Ozzy. Um, I love, you know, like Guns N' Roses, you're wearing that Metallica, them. And, um, and then you see Kiss get on stage or you see one of their music videos and his boots are this thick and he's walking around and he's got like that. And I was just, I just, I seen it and I'm like, wow, that's fake. Like, he, you know, he doesn't wear that to the store. He doesn't go to family functions with that on. Like they don't go places with that. And to me that it totally 
it pushed me. It was like a, a cart, like a cartoon kind of, you know, and um, I don't know. I remember sitting in my. We grew up in a trailer, and I remember sitting in the kitchen, and I used to put my mom's makeup on, and I would pretend like I was Tommy Lee when I was a kid, and I would beat the beat the pans and the pots and pans in the kitchen. God, my mom put up with some. <laughs> God, I was such a loud kid. Like I was so annoying as a kid, and my toys everywhere. But she put up with it, and she always encouraged it. And I used to always tell her, I don't know how, but one day I'm going to be famous. And here I am on a podcast. That's you right. See? Hey, 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 this could be famous. You never know. Um, but um, and then I'd see Kiss, and it was like it was so fake. So. I mean, I actually did a, a group about this the other day. I wish you could have been in there when we did the men's group. I brought this up. Um, and I try to just be as real as possible nowadays. Um, I try to be transparent. Um, I try not to be fake. Um, basically, that's it. I don't know. I try not to dress up like robots, I think. I don't even know what they were going for. What were they going? Like, I don't. It's interesting because, and I, I, I've, I've, um, well, I asked them, we were at their sound check a couple weeks ago, and I asked them about their version or why they've always abstained from using drugs and alcohol, right? So when I think of realism, all these other bands that we talked about, Guns N' Roses, Metallica, Motley Crue, all the other ones that I like as well, well, were they really being real when they were using drugs? No. They were being real in how they dressed. But everything other than that was a facade. And then you have this other band who, I agree with you, they put on these costumes, but behind it was 100% realism. And what they were doing, what they were feeling, they were not hiding from anything. They were using these characters as a way to push a message of, you know, freedom, you can be anything you want, have fun, all that stuff that all these other bands that you and I like uh, talked about, but they really weren't living it in a realism way, which I'm, I'm equating obviously to sobriety. Yes. And I've been thinking of a way of how to tie that stuff in and make it applicable to what we're doing and what you're doing. And a lot of things like, and that's another thing that turned me off about Kiss was, um, I can't believe I'm dogging out Kiss on the thing. This is horrible. I can't. I can't imagine how many people I'm gonna have be mad at me for this. But um, I was in the middle of that. I was in the middle of that rock and roll party, balls to the wall. Let's burn the motel rooms down. And then these guys are over here singing this like, hey, 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 like let's everybody be happy. And and I'm like, nah, fuck that. Like, I'm like, screw that, you know. And then like, and I just, it wasn't crazy enough for me. It wasn't. Uh, I don't know when I when I turn on Kiss music I don't I don't want to like jam out like I, when I turn on like Motley Crue or you know like Ozzy or something like I just want to do 110 down the highway with the windows down and just you know what I mean I just want to I don't know it's like an adrenaline rush for me like that music is just an, 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 and Kiss just never gave that to me i won't i won't tell paul stanley that we did this today. oh yeah that's another guy yeah yeah yeah, another yeah, guy. yeah, yeah, yeah. He, but he like and again we're tying a lot of it music is a part of what it's one of our lifestyles that racing for recovery um endorses and i think of what you're doing even with running the men's meeting you you're working on potentially working here someday which we fully endorse not or whatever not but i will no you will I will that away uh, yeah thanks for correcting my yeah. verbiage oh you're right i appreciate yeah. that good I'm, on you yeah. that was a test i knew what i was no, saying yeah, there. Yeah. oh i will um 
But the realism that you're living now is exactly what this is whole this whole thing is about. So even quote ripping on Kiss a little bit, it's the realism behind everything that you've been doing here for the past year. And I, and I, I treat Kiss. Um, I, re, I I totally respect everything that they've done and how I mean it looked. They're still you know rocking they're away and you know what is it like was it 40 years 50, 50 years yeah something mm-hmm. like that i mean holy crap that's who am i to say that that's not incredible um you know like a corvette uh, i respect a corvette because i respect what it can do just like i respect what kiss has done but i just don't like them but i'm okay. um, speaking of that like being real is when we had a uh, god rest his soul but um when we had dale's showing outside and I walked up to you. I don't know if you remember this, but I walked up to you and I was like, Todd, thank you so much. Like, cause Dale is one of my really good friends and I love him dearly. And I was like, thank you so much for what you've done. And you're like, for what? You're like, I'm just doing what's right. Like, you're like, <laughs> I just wake up and you're like, I just do what I feel like is right. And I was like, wow. Like, yeah. Like, I don't, I don't care if it looks cool anymore. I don't care if the people on the internet or social media, I don't even really post on social media anymore. Cause that's stupid. It's dumb. It's like a thirst trap, but um, I don't care anymore. I wake up in the morning and I just do what's, uh, what yep. I think is right. Um, like I seen the little, my next door neighbor was carrying her laundry the other day and you could tell she's got COPD. I've talked to her a couple times and you can tell that she's struggling. And I walked up and I was like, all right, let me, like, here, let me get it. She's like, no, 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 it's okay. And I was like, no, like, give me, give me your basket. Like I got right. this, you know? And it's like, I don't, I don't think about a lot of stuff anymore. I don't think about what's cool. I don't think about what am I going to get out of this or um, let me run home and put a social media post. Oh, I just helped my neighbor with their lawn. Like, I don't think about that. I just, I know the reason why I brought it up is because of this is like, I just honestly do what I feel in my heart is right or what I feel somebody else might like, you know, because she probably went home and thought like, wow, that was a really nice thing. And maybe two weeks from now she'll see somebody at the store and she'll want to help them out you know maybe like pass it on i don't know show the world some love man well we're back to you the know? three things from the japanese culture right yeah. what have i done for somebody yeah. right um i mean man we're rolling ten forty four. um these things keep getting longer and longer as i do them which is okay uh, what's it like for you now doing this podcast knowing how that people are going to benefit from it which they will you're facilitating the men's racing for recovery support group meeting. I do believe you started doing some Thursdays, or you're gonna be. I've done Thursdays, but I, I mostly just do the camera. You know, I'm kind of like the you're behind the scenes, there. like like my man over here, kind of <laughs> like behind the scenes. You know, what's it? What's your vision of what you're gonna be doing here in the future? What do you want to do? I. Don't know. Um, I feel comfortable when I'm behind the desks in the in the groups. Um, I feel comfortable when I'm behind that. Like when, like even talking to you right now, like it's really hard for me to like. It's really hard to keep eye contact. It's really hard for me to do that stuff. But when I'm behind that desk, it just feels so much better. Like when people are asking me questions or when I know I'm helping somebody um when I can see in the look in somebody's eyes when they're scared or when they don't know what to do or when people are messaging me at two three o'clock in the morning because they're having problems um that's where I feel comfortable and I don't know like I just want to help people I don't care what I'm doing really like I'm not 
stingy. I just, I just know that with everything going on, I don't really know what I want to do yet. I just know that I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of race. I will be a part of racing for recovery. Um, I don't know if I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm kind of flexible. I just know that I, I want to be a part of this. Um, I don't want to ever lose this. You won't. Uh, and you said something to me the other day that I, I'm, I've been very fortunate to have some people say some very nice things to me over the years. Um, when you said the other day when we were talking about, you know, someday people are going to be looking back at this and saying, man, I was a yeah. part of that when it really got going. That really resonated with me that there's a sense of pride that you have for being involved in this. And I yes. just want to say thanks for saying that because I knew I knew we, we had something when this got started and to watch it evolve because of the people that are here. It's like, wow, I get to sit back and really watch all that come to fruition. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you that people when we're probably not even here anymore, are going to exactly. be learning about this program and yeah. possibly watching this someday, you know? Like, I guarantee that the people that sat down with um, Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson and everything, when he when they first got that started, they ne they probably never thought that it was going to be that big. Um, but, like, years and years and years later, somebody was probably, somebody is probably there like, well, my great-grandpa was involved in a part of that. Well, not to, you know... Oh, never mind. Oh, we're not alive. But I want to be a part of this because I know that this is going to go somewhere. And I have the opportunity in my life, in my short sobriety that I have now, I have the opportunity to sit across the table from Todd Crandall. And I don't know if you realize the impact that you have had on people, how many lives you've changed. And how many lives you will change. You're so you're such a modest person. And for all them people out there on the internet that are like, oh, it's because they don't fucking know you. <laughs> like point blank period. All them haters that are out there is because they have never sat here like this and had a conversation with you. And if they have, then they walked away and still thought then they fuck them is all I can say. And I'm sorry for saying that, but fuck them. Um, I have the opportunity of a lifetime to sit across the table from you, across the and, and to get to work with these great, amazing people at Racing for Recovery. And maybe someday 30, 40 years down the line when this whole thing is all around the world and this is a humongous thing, which to me is better than the other ones, all the other ones, um, my grandchildren or maybe even farther down the line, they can be like, my, my, my dad was in, or my grandpa was involved in that. Or, you know, like... My grandpa helped build that new Racing for Recovery building that's out there or, you know, something like, but I have the opportunity of a lifetime right now to be a part of what I feel like will be a growing part. And I would be completely insane not to grab a hold of your coattails and ride this as far as I can. This was like... Not to bring it, because I know you love Motley Crue. But when Motley Crue was first starting, like all the people that doubted them and yeah. didn't hang on to them, 20, 30 years later, they're sitting back in their parents' basement with their wife beater on eating Cheetos. Like, man, I could have been a part of that. I don't want to look back and regret this. I don't want to look... I don't want to see this in 20 years and be like, shit, I could have been a part of that. Like, I will be a part of this in 20 years. I... uh 
Thanks for saying that stuff. I uh, I just finished reading Nikki Six's third book. I've seen that. Yeah. And his um, well, there's a bot in there that really resonated with me. His uncle was president of Capitol Records when Nikki first went out to Los Angeles, and when his first band London was really they were taken off. Mm-hmm told his uncle, you got to come down and check us out, you know, and he was all excited. He thought they was going to get a record deal. And his uncle said, no, we're going to pass. And it, it really, it hurt Nikki, but it motivated him. He starts Motley Crue and same thing. Band starts taking off. He invites his uncle down. His uncle passed again. And then when they hit it, when Motley, I think it was after their third record, his uncle called Nikki and said, the biggest mistake of my professional career was not signing your band. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's not, I told you so or whatever. It's more of Nikki knew he had it, whether his uncle signed him or not. And that's how I've always felt about this. It doesn't matter who really likes us or doesn't like us. As long as people utilize it for themselves, I'm good. And you're one of them. And I'm, I'm proud of you, man. Well, thank you. I'm and I'm proud of you too. I'm proud to be sitting across the table from you. Right. When on. you asked me the other day when we were in group, and you, well, you didn't ask me. You told me. You said, "Hey, you're doing a podcast <laughs> with me." Like I almost like I didn't know what to say. Um, like I said, I'm still having trouble with like the the self doubt, the self esteem things, and like I almost didn't feel like I was worthy enough to sit in here. You know, I almost didn't feel like I should. Like, I kind of don't feel like I have something to give back yet um, I'm still in the process of watching people but I will never turn down a chance to sit across the table with you and just chop it up whether these cameras are on or not like Russ you earned that okay you earned it or you wouldn't be in here I have with everybody it's like you give me a year before you're doing this mm-hmm. um, some people who even come in here for a year didn't use it right and I've learned I've learned from that you've never asked to come in here I, I told you I wanted you in here because you've earned it. And yes, what you've said in here today is going to help people. And it's not by, it's by what you're doing. And I, ho- I hope you can fully embrace that dude because you earned it, man. You're a good dude. Yeah. I've enjoyed like well, this, the sarcasm that you have when watching you dress up here at our Halloween party the other night was just, that's you. Yeah. It's real, genuine honesty integrity and love behind who you are and that's i admire you i love it i love it like i mean i just like to make people i like to make people smile anything else you want to say i mean i don't know i'm sure when i go home and i'm laying down tonight i'm like shit i should have said that or i should have did whatever but like as of right i mean i think we we can have another. We'll we'll save we'll that for one. we'll save that for our next podcast. We don't want to give people too much, you know. We gotta. You did good, buddy. Um, thank you. So thanks much. for tuning in again today. Share this awesome podcast, please, with everybody out there. Russ has a great story. Thanks for watching it. Share it. Until next time, check us out on our live stream every Thursday night, six thirty p.m. Eastern, or go to racingforrecovery.org if you or a loved one are battling drug or alcohol abuse. We are here to help you. Take it easy. Until next time.